everybody. Hello again, everybody. I'll hopefully get this back. So where was I? I was talking about Mr. Um, well, John Brennan. So he is a communist. He was a communist in the 1970s. But to be that as may, what, what I'm saying is the infiltration has been going on for a long time, irrespective of uh, Bill Gates's uh, positioning of, of American guilt on this. So I'm going to go back to his video. this video. It's only about 40 more seconds. It's the National Labs. It's got the ability to organize risk-oriented capital. So we will not solve climate change without the rich world driving down dramatically. That's what will make it economic for the the middle-income countries who are not responsible for the historic emissions and who are dealing with more basic needs. So did you get that? Historic. So this is all about blame shifting back to prior circumstances as if, as, if, if, as if you can rectify that. And why would you rectify that? This is the kind of things that, these are the kind of, this is the kind of evil that exists. See, communists and people like them always position things in the past so they don't have to, so, so, that, so that the people that they try to sell this to always feel like, oh, well, you should pay for the prior harms. That's what the entire organization of delusion and logic is. It somehow thinks that uh, that I should rectify the past. Why should I be? Why should I or anybody else or any corporation, any current business, uh, be responsible for what happened 15, 60 years ago or 100 years ago or 200 years ago? That's, that's, that's illogical. This is the illogic that gets pumped out. These people don't care about. They, they they're so wealthy and rich. They don't care. They want to shame you. It's called a luxury belief. It's what the it's what the the elite people want to do. They use this to, to sell this to the the masses through the mass media. It doesn't matter if it makes any sense because it doesn't make any sense. And as I was explaining, the the yeah, right now forty nine percent or roughly a study done by. Uh, BP had the CO2 emissions out of uh, China as being 49 of the of the uh, 49 percent of the world's. Now of that, this is the feedback loop. And a lot of it is being driven by American consumerism. But do you know why that happens? It happens through media because they sell people on the idea that they need to buy another another new phone. New phones have phones are probably one of the most destructive things to the environment because of the metals that are involved in it processing and whatnot people's replacement cycles see these companies need you there's two ways to there's two real ways to to quote unquote increase profits or increase sales revenues let's put it that way so you have to expand your markets so for example let's just say you have 100 million customers at present that's that's a pretty good base it's stable but in order to juice your stock price you have to grow the amount of customers you have so you have to increase it by 10, 20, whatever percentage in order to do that. Because the chances are you probably can't increase the price of your goods unless you differentiate it. You have market price differentiation. But let's just say for we'll keep this example simple. So you can either grow the amount of customers you have or you have to increase the, the replacement cycle. And when I say increase the replacement cycle. So for example, let's just say you get a new phone every year, no matter what. You get a new phone every year. 
Well, in order to improve, uh, to get more sales, you need to decrease that replacement cycle down to like six months. So you cut it in half, that increases your profit, increases the amount of sales, and ostensibly your profitability, assuming that your uh, margin, your, uh, your margin on that doesn't change. So what do these people do? So they make cheaper, they make goods uh, easily breakable. They put you on a plan. So they want you to be on a certain plan. And if you get a new phone, they introduce new gadgets and whiz bangs and all this other kind of stuff to get people to, and then they pump, pump, pump up the marketing. The marketing, the advertising, the slick, you know, like YouTube, uh, YouTube, 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 when they did that uh, uh, thing for uh, a Vertigo song, when they used that for a long time to sell Microsoft and all that, you know, whether it be Microsoft or, or some phone. It's all to entice you to do things. So people don't base their buying habits on rationality. I mean, certain things you would think they do, but a lot of people are impulse driven and they know that. So that's how you get this problem with uh, consumerism and they enjoy it I mean the big companies do they're feeding this they don't care about climate change if they cared about climate change they would build highly durable products with a low life cycle but they wouldn't make any money on that and their stock price wouldn't go up see that this is all about it because turning the, the stock market has become a casino and no better way to express that casino than I have a couple visuals that I captured and a couple things that have come up recently so um, the the S and P five hundred, for example, has skyrocketed uh, upwards since the uh, since the start of this pandemic. It went way down, then it recovered, and then since then it just ballooned. It went from uh, I'm gonna have to open this up, and uh, unfortunately, the person who did this didn't uh, put too much scale to it. So, so the point is, is okay. So at one point, this was back in 2020. So March 2020. Right after it crashed down to 2200, then it recovered back up to right around 33, 3400. Uh, that was uh, done with by August of that year, and then since August of that year, now it's now it's over what 40? Let's see, let me see, 42, 40. I gotta look here, 42, 50, 43, 44, 4500 uh, through this year, 4500. It's just skyrocketed. Uh, so that's a lot of and everybody said, oh, well, that's a good thing. That means everything's recovered. No, it isn't. It, it isn't being fueled by, it isn't being fueled by actual recovery uh, as the labor force. And that'll be the next article I read from Zero Hedge. So the biggest indicator of this is the world total stock stock market uh, capitalization. To put this in pers- historical perspective, this goes back uh, 17 years. So... In 2004, the world stock market, uh, world total stock market capitalization, was right around 30 to 35 trillion. So by 2008 or 2000, uh, late 2007, it was up to 62 trillion. So it doubled in a matter of like three and a half years. So that was the headache or the hangover that we built. But that headache and hangover then was only about 12 to 15 trillion. That was like I used a like a statistical process control um, graph uh, to kind of uh, normalize the growth. There's a growth curve. There's a there's a growth that goes along with uh, uh, market capitalization, 
which is based upon some kind of linear, uh, it would be like a linear regression, but you have like a center line and you have, you know, upper limits and lower limits. So anyway, so it got to 62 trillion in late 2007 and then it crashed back down to under 30 trillion uh, in late 2009. That was the market capitalization. So that was when Obama, you know, took over. It was like at 6,500, I think the, the, I think the New York, was it New York or NASDAQ was at 6,500. So over a course of seven or eight years, it finally kind of recovered back where it was. It took to late 2014 to get back to 62. So it took six years to get back to the level that it, it crashed to. So there was a little bit of growth along the way, but there was uh, spurts and starts for the market capitalization. So uh, when Trump took over in early 2017, it was right at about 62 trillion. So 62 trillion was like kind of like a a waterline. So that's where it marked. And then under Trump, uh, up till up till late 2019, we'll say it, 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 there was a point in uh, late 2018 that it got up to 80 trillion. Then the market corrected by 10%, back down to about uh, $68 trillion. Then it went back up uh, through 2019, through natural, I, I would say natural forces. Uh, through late 2019, it got up to, it got it went past $85 trillion and it got up to $90 trillion. At a real high, a high point, it got to $90 trillion market capitalization. So... And then it crashed back down, and when it crashed back down, it, it just so happened that the it crashed back down almost exactly, almost to the, exactly the point in late 2007, about 62 trillion. Since it went to 62 trillion, and and this was March of 2020, now it's at 118 trillion. So we've almost got a double. So when you look at that. But if I go back to where Trump had it around, let's just say, when I say Trump, Trump's economy, it was about, let's just say it, it crossed about 85, I put it at about 84 to 85 trillion market capitalization. So if you put it at 85, that means you have $33 trillion of extra market capitalization. So this is going to be about two and a half, two and a half times the size of the bubble that was created during the 2008 crisis. My correction level, I mean, if it corrects back down to uh, the 62, that means you're going to lose half. The, I mean, uh, this is going to be the worst collapse since 1929. You're going to have massive unemployment, massive. Uh, it's just going to, it's going to be catastrophic. And it's coming soon because it isn't, it isn't sustainable. For example, so we'll go to the wheels coming off. So the wheels come off. As economic growth craters, New York Fed suspends its GDP tracking model. So it's official. While Q2 was the best quarter of economy in decades, Q3 is now widely accepted that as we wrote a month ago, the wheels came off as a result of sudden sudden negative change. Anyway, one doesn't have to look too hard to find out why. Between today's catastrophic jobs report, so they had a jobs report that was it basically didn't didn't achieve what they expected. The near record plunge in consumer confidence, the troubling contraction in retail sales, where reports have missed expectations for three months in a row, whether it's due to end of stimmies or the recent restrictions from the Delta variant. One bank after another took a machete 
or in the case of Morgan Stanley, a nuke to their G- GDP Q3 forecast. So, yeah, they they are expecting a massive uh, correction. And let's see where it says, We find it odd how the New York Fed did not suspend its now forecast model on the way up in late 2020 when a similar level of panic confu- uh, pandemic confusion was present. But when all the adjustments were in, the upward direction, and nobody really cared if they were accurate or not. There are two ways to interpret this sudden and unexpected uh, development from some of the smartest economists in the room. Either nobody knows anything, which is true for most economists, or the underlying economic data is now so ugly that instead of lipsticking, adjusting, and goal-seeking is it to make it look attractive on a seasonally adjusted pro forma basis, of course, in its tracker, the New York Fed has simply decided to no longer even cover, cover it. And their money is on both A and B. <laughs> so there you go. These people are, are not even, they're not even hiding it anymore. They can't, they can't sustain, the, sustain, sustain the facade. So here's another uh, video evidence of what's going on behind the scenes. Policymakers in Washington have proposed requiring banks to report virtually all their customers' bank account information and activity to the IRS, regardless of the customer's consent. I'm Rebecca Romero-Rady, President and CEO of the Independent Community Bankers of America. Community banks do not endorse broad IRS access to their customers' account information, and consumers should be aware of the potential negative effects of this new proposal. Mandating broad new bank reporting to the IRS on all business and personal bank accounts would infringe on the privacy of bank customers. It would also push more people away from a banking relationship and overload the IRS with more data than it can possibly process or keep safe. You can be heard in Washington before this new reporting regime is enacted through a customizable message to your members of Congress available at banklocally.org backslash privacy. By weighing in directly with your lawmakers on this harmful proposal, you can ensure your voice is heard. So, yeah. Sorry. So, yeah. I'm going to go down. So, I went through this, actually, the the specific uh, incident. They... um, there's a specific paragraph, and it's actually read it. I've included the link in the description. It's a large, it's a very large bill. It's towards the back end of it. So this is what they're after. Businesses, uh, so it's a reason for change. The tax gap between business income outside of large corporations for the most recently published Internal Revenue Service estimates at $166 billion a year. The scale of this revenue loss is driven primarily by the lack of comprehensive information reporting resulting in difficulty in identifying non-compliance outside of an audit. Net, uh, I'm just hi, uh, reading the highlighted net mis- misreporting percentage is only 5% for income subject to substantial information reporting, but the business income exceeds 50%. They want to require comprehensive information reporting on the inflows and outflows of financial accounts will increase the visibility of gross receipts and deductible expenses to the IRS. Um... What's the next part here? Yes. So this is this requirement would apply to all business and personal accounts from financial institutions, including bank, loan, investment accounts, 
with the exceptions of accounts below a low a low de minimis gross flow threshold of $600 or fair market value of $600. So basically everybody, $600 is, you know, I had $600 in my savings account back in the 80s. So uh, there, there are people that, you know, obviously if you, you have access to banking, but if you don't have a minimum, uh, if you don't hit that minimum account, uh, this is just going to be crazy. So anyway, I'm, I'm going through all this, and uh, I'm, yeah, you probably heard the airplane there. Um, yeah, the, the point of this all is that there is a mass psychosis. There's a financial part of this. There's a voting part of this. That's the reason why they're fi- the globalists who are in, entrenched in our Congress or entrenched in our government are pushing things like H.R. 1, H.R. 4. And the states are having their complaints because we have people that are just evil. There's no other way to describe it. There's no, when I say evil, they're just, they're just, they're greedy little hoarders. They got to have it all. They want everything. And, and that's on a local level. And of course, they sell, they hustle people on this. And they've been hustling people for years on this, this concept. And that's the reason why we're in this predicament to begin with. Um, Hustling people to give up their rights, give up their freedom, is a, is an easy uh, tactic for for these globalist minions. So we're gonna go back to the the after school um, reading here real quick. But in the modern era, it is the mass psychosis of totalitarianism that appears to be the greatest threat. Totalitarianism, writes Arthur First Lewis is the modern phenomenon of total centralized state power, coupled with the obliteration of individual human rights. In the totalized state, there are those in power, and there are the objectified masses, the victims. In a totalitarian society, the population is divided into two groups, the rulers and the ruled, and both groups undergo a pathological transformation. The rulers are elevated to an almost godlike status, which is diametrically opposed to our nature as imperfect beings who are easily corrupted by power. The masses, on the other hand, are transformed into the dependent subjects of these pathological rulers and take on a psychologically regressed and childlike status. Hannah Arendt, one of the 20th century's preeminent scholars of this form of rule, called totalitarianism an attempted transformation of human nature itself. But this attempted transformation only turns sound minds into sick minds. For as the Dutch medical doctor who studied the mental effects of living under totalitarianism wrote, there is in fact much that is comparable between the strange reactions of the citizens of totalitarianism and their culture as a whole, on the one hand, and the reactions of the sick schizophrenic on the other. The social transformation that unfolds under totalitarianism is built upon and sustained by delusions. For only deluded men and women regress to the childlike status of obedient and submissive subjects and hand over complete control of their lives to politicians and bureaucrats. Only a deluded ruling class will believe that they possess the knowledge, wisdom, and acumen to completely control society in a top-down manner. And only when under the spell of delusions would anyone believe that a society composed of power-hungry rulers on the one hand, and a psychologically regressed population on the other, 
will lead to anything other than mass suffering and social ruin. But what triggers the psychosis of totalitarianism? As was explored in the previous video of this series, the mass psychosis of totalitarianism begins in a society's ruling class. The individuals that make up this class, be it politicians, bureaucrats, or crony capitalists, are very prone to delusions that augment their power. And no delusion is more attractive to the power-hungry than the delusion that they can and should control and dominate a society. When a ruling elite becomes possessed by a political ideology of this sort, be it communism, fascism, or technocracy, the next step is to induce a population into accepting their rule by infecting them with the mass psychosis of totalitarianism. This psychosis has been induced many times throughout history, and as Mirulu explains, it is simply a question of reorganizing and manipulating collective feelings in the proper way. The general method by which the members of a ruling elite can accomplish this end is called menticide, with the etymology of this word being a killing of the mind. And as Mirlu further explains, menticide is an old crime against the human mind and spirit, but systematized anew. It is an organized system of psychological intervention and judicial perversion through which a ruling class can imprint their own opportunistic thoughts upon the minds of those they plan to use and destroy. Priming a population for the crime of menticide begins with the sowing of fear. When an individual is flooded with negative emotions such as fear or anxiety, he or she is very susceptible to a descent into the delusions of madness. Threats real, imagined, or fabricated can be used to sow fear, but a particularly effective technique is to use waves of terror. Under this technique, the sowing of fear is staggered with periods of calm, but each of these periods of calm is followed by the manufacturing of an even more intense spell of fear, and on and on the process goes. Or as Mirlu writes, each wave of terrorizing creates its effects more easily after a breathing spell than the one that preceded it because people are still disturbed by their previous experience. Morality becomes lower and lower, and the psychological effects of each new propaganda campaign become stronger. It reaches a public already softened up. While fear primes a population for menticide, the use of propaganda to spread misinformation and to promote confusion with respect to the source of the threats and the nature of the crisis, helps to break down the minds of the masses. Government officials and their lackeys in the media can use contradictory reports, nonsensical information, and even blatant lies, as the more they confuse, the less capable will a population be to cope with the crisis and diminish their fear in a rational and adaptive manner. Confusion, in other words, heightens the susceptibility of a descent into the delusions of totalitarianism. Or as Mirlu explains, logic can be met with logic, while illogic cannot. It confuses those who think straight. The big lie and monotonously repeated nonsense have more emotional appeal than logic and reason. While the people are still searching for a reasonable counter-argument to the first lie, the totalitarians can assault them with another. And there we go. I didn't want to go there. There's a lot more. There's about nine minutes more to this, but I've kind of clipped enough out of it to get my uh, get the point across here.
yeah, there's the totalitarian people, you know, people become morally virtuous. They think they're, they think they're the, in the right and they don't realize that they're in the wrong. Um, and it, 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 it becomes more and more, uh, uh, true today that that's where we're at right now. Um, we have a luxury. So the, the ruling class has been doing this to you for a long time. And uh, they've been keep. I mean, you can see it in the way they're pr- pushing up the fear. So, for example, there was a recent st- a recent uh, warning of terror attacks in Switzerland on COVID vaccine sites. This is to stir up fear amongst the people that that enjoy or or rather uh, have um, taken to the vaccine hook, line, and sinker. Think vaccines are the only way to protect yourself, uh, ignoring that you had herd immunity. There are people that I guess in, enjoy they they like to they like attention through meta, medicine, uh, so that's the reason why they probably uh, put so much uh, trust in it. And then doctors talk in a certain way, and nurses talk in a certain way. As long as you're compliant, and you go in there, they're they're well served by that. But there are others of us who have always been suspicious of anybody giving too much power and authority to somebody based upon their title. One of the examples is the Milgram experiment, where if you dress somebody up in a lab coat and they come in, or they they're wearing a nice suit and tie, people give they 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 uh, confer or confer deference to people based upon the outward appearance of the, them having a strong facade. In other words, you can take a person who is actually incredibly weak and and rather sociopathic and evil, and if you put them in a nice suit, you know that's. The, the, the way they do defendants if you put them in a nice suit you make them look clean you, you expound on their titles or they uh, produce their uh, credentials let's just say you're a Harvard PhD uh, people will say well god he's from Harvard he can't be evil they would have never given a guy a PhD from Harvard and etc etc so many people produce their credentials appeal to authority um produce their credentials, uh, come in and dress a certain way and act all grandiose and act like they have all the answers, you know. I mean, some of this is, uh, this is where the politics of the day, uh, the media expertly exploited their sheep to make Trump like this. And Trump did have a, a, a air and gravitas, but so did Obama. But nobody seemed to really care about that, um, because, you know, packaging, uh, media packaging. Media didn't push him on very many things. They went along because he was their guy. Uh, they covered up for him. But anything that Trump said or anything Trump did, they highly criticized us. This, is, this has been noted uh, statistically. In the same way with Joe Biden right now. The media has been giving him every pass on everything. I mean, he shows up late to press conferences... They don't. Uh, they don't answer questions. They don't take questions. I mean, uh, if you if you're inf- uh, unfamiliar with the way it is, I mean, whether you liked what came out of his mouth or not, it, <laughs> Trump at least was taking questions. He may have. Ta- he took all kinds of questions. He took loaded questions. He took questions from people who, who constantly uh, were seeking to uh, get a rise out of him, to paint him as an evil person. Trump has his flaws. Don't get me wrong. He does. Every every. There hasn't been a guy who's held uh, held an oath of office in the world that doesn't have flaws. 
you know, uh, that that is decidedly true. Is he, of course, messaging is everything. He's always been a salesman. He's always been a marketer. Uh, that's probably why he got as far as he did. But uh, Joe, he's been an incompetent fool his entire life, and yet he's always managed to fail upward. I mean, he failed upward to vice presidency, not because he was anything great. He was just, he was there to quote-unquote pull in what little, little uh, I guess you could say, uh, vote, vote he could from certain demographics. Um, that's just the way it is. So anyway, the, the terror mechanism is, 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 is conveniently done because uh, we have people that are pushing policies. Arnie Duncan, here's another one. He's a former Obama secretary. He compared all the people who are anti-maskers to Kabul suicide bombers. So make a make a and to make such a you know statement takes a it takes somebody who is actually divorced of reality or somebody who knows exactly what they're doing a elite elitist person who's trying to smear and denigrate anybody who doesn't go along with the plan this is a control mechanism this is somebody who who knows probably knows very good and well that that doesn't happen but by saying that, he's getting the people, the populace, the Obama, the the people that are currently under the mass psychosis to believe this stuff. He is inflaming the situation. He's doing something that you should never do. He thinks he's beyond moral reproach. He is actually guilty of all the things that all totalitarian dictators are. He's granted he doesn't have a position, but he has a voice. And because he ha- he doesn't have a, a position in this administration that I know of, but he has a voice to uh, to project the, into the conversation that people may or may not listen to based upon their uh, you know their uh, interaction with the education system, and that goes to the postmodernism that uh, has been pushed off on many of us. Uh, Jordan Peterson had did a uh, did a broadcast a while back. Um, this was several years ago. I might play. I'll see if I can play this. If it'll play here, and then we'll we'll go from there. Um, might take a little bit. So, uh, I want to recommend a book first to everyone here. It's called "Explaining Postmodernism," and it's by a gentleman named Stephen Hicks. And you need to understand postmodernism because that's what you're up against. And you're up against it far more than you know or think. And it's a much more well-developed and uh, pervasive, pernicious, nihilistic, intellectually attractive doctrine than has yet come to public realization. It absolutely dominates the humanities and increasingly the social sciences in the universities. And what's happening, you see, someone once said, who unfortunately I can't remember, it might have been Friedrich Nietzsche, said that everybody is the unconscious exponent of a dead philosopher. And uh, fortunately, the postmodern philosophers, most of them are dead, so that's a good thing. But that doesn't mean that their words aren't continually being spoken by people who, who are following in their wake, let's say. And it's not like any given person is absolutely possessed, say, by the spirit of postmodernism, because often they're not educated enough to know all the details about what it is that has them in their grip. 
But if you get 20 of them together, and they're all 5% influenced by the postmodernist ethos, you basically have the spirit of the mob that's a mouthpiece for that particular philosophical doctrine. And if you understand the doctrine, then you understand why things are progressing the way that they're progressing. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the doctrine, um, because it's not optional to understand this. It's absolutely crucial to understand this. Huh? You, you can't underestimate the power of ideas and, and also the power of words, of course, because ideas are expressed in words. But you see, the postmodernists completely reject the structure of Western civilization. And I mean completely. So I can give you an example in one term. Jacques Derrida, who's head trickster for the postmodernist movement, regarded Western culture, let's call it the patriarchy, as phallogocentric. Okay, so fallow comes from phallus, P-H-A-L-L-O. And so that's the insistence that what you see in Western culture is the consequence of a male-dominated, oppressive, uh, self-serving society. And we might say, well, you know, societies do tend to be self-serving, and people in power do tend to act in their best interests, but a tendency is not an absolute, and that's one of the things that needs to be considered continually. There are no shortage of flaws in the manner in which we've structured our society. And compared to any hypothetical utopia, it's an absolutely dismal wreck. But compared to the rest of the world and the plight of other societies throughout the history of mankind, we're doing pretty damn well, and we should be happy to be living in the society that we're living in. So, so yeah, sorry, I'm controlling the mic and everything. So uh, that's actually on a um, Discord, and that's why the beeps were in the background. So as he, he further continues on, I, I, I just muted it, and I'm going to try to wrap this up here in the next couple minutes. So the radical movement is responsible for mainstreaming these ideas on the left. Critical race theory, systematic racism, cancel culture, censorship, identity politics, amongst a, min, a milieu now. Now you could add to that uh, COVID-19 mass vaccine and, and uh, social distancing. Because this is a mass psychosis event, and it's being driven by uh, such uh, ideological tricks that have been pushed down on people's minds for the last 50 or 60 years. So postmodernism, I mean, they don't believe in the Enlightenment. They don't believe in, they, they want to make everything about conflict and power. It's a, everything is about power for these people. And power comes at the end of the... <laughs> At the end of a barrel of a gun. So right now, our country, the United States of America, the one I live in, has been taken over by these postmodernists, these Marxists that are in our in our Washington D.C. They rule every agency, and they're and the fact is, is they're trying to destroy the final uh, bulk work, which was the United States military, and they started that in earnest in March uh, in uh, January 2020. Trump had had just prior to that outlawed or let's just say put an executive order in saying that we won't teach critical race theory in the United States military. So what did Joe Biden do? He reversed that completely. He hired uh, Benjamin Garrison, I think is his name, who works under Lloyd Austin. And he's been introducing that white people are the problem. He's introducing racism into the military, right back into the military. We have been a, uh, a fully segregated military since the late 1940s under, I think it was Truman did the order in 1947. And 
you know, it took a long time to get that in place. Uh, Vietnam was another uh, event of, you know, there was a lot of social change and upheaval going on in the 60s, but nothing like what we have today. This is the 1960s on steroids plus economic catastrophe coming down the pike plus this COVID. This is every bag of trick that the global... If we survive this, it'll only be due to the fact that the globalists finally lose forever. We are going to have to defeat the entire globalist establishment, which is going to be a feat unto itself because we're going to have to also defeat most of the people who are under this mass psychosis. They're not going to listen to reason, as uh, the commentary I or the, the the after school says. Logic can meet logic, but logic cannot cannot convince illogic. These people are illogical. They won't deal with you. They won't deal with facts. They won't deal with the, deal with actual facts. They won't deal with uh, the ability to fix and cure a lot of ills. They don't understand how it is to be independent. They're totally dependent now on the government in front of them. Um, and the government in front of them tells them that they can solve their every problem. And many people have continued to believe this. And the only reason why like somebody like me can understand this or is kind of immune to this is the fact that I've always been an independent person. I grew up an only child. My mom wasn't around most of the time because she was at work trying to make a living. So I learned to fend for myself. So I've always been a highly independent individual. And I've had my ups and downs in life. I've experienced loss and hardships that, you know, I wouldn't wish on my best or worst enemy. But uh, those are the things. And I went through some psychological abuse of my own in my life uh, early on from my own father. And he was uh, he was a quintessential uh, manipulator, uh, um, a, a cluster B personality, uh, antisocial personality disorder person. And he used these kind of things when uh, my mom and him were getting divorced. This was after he uh, severely abused her. And she finally filed for divorce. She was a Catholic. She believed in Catholicism. He was ostensibly a fundamentalist. And he used the Bible to... He was a he was actually a postmodernist, I think, in, in some respects. He studied that those kind of philosophies. My mom was not a well-versed, uh, well-versed person in... In that regard, and that's probably why she had a hard time dealing with him. But he wanted to do, he was a hedonist. He did what he wanted to do. He was everything a, a, a sociopath would be. And so I experienced that throughout my fifth grade year to a level that most people can't even comprehend. I do, because every time I was with him, it was a, it was like an interrogation. It was like a witch trial. Um, I had to give, provide information and and I had to satisfy his need to know and, and all kinds of things. It broke me a little bit. I felt psychologically abused and I probably didn't act very well for the, a number of years after that. I That was probably my first post-traumatic disorder event. And I suffered that before and, and suffered it again. So I'm used to being, I mean, if you want to give it a post-traumatic syndrome or, you know, uh, a clinical term. I've been through that before. And this is, I know for a lot of people, has become a traumatic situation. This is what the globalists do. They traumatize people. They abuse them. They abuse them to such a degree that you have to build some metal in order to, to comprehend what they're doing. In the last 10 years, ever since my mom passed away, I 
I feel like I've tried to do that. Not without setbacks to my own personal life. And I'm just using myself as an example because it's the best example I know. But I've learned to be highly um, independent and maybe intuitive. I've read up on psychology. I've read up on historical situations. I've looked at the numbers and the analysis. And I've put my worldview together based upon that. And that worldview is contradictory to the globalist agenda that is being put served up before us we were we can do our country has to satisfy its its mandate to protect its citizens to support and defend the constitution of the united states to to have firm and solid borders to have economic self-sufficiency this is all supposed to happen to have free markets that aren't manipulated by the hucksters on wall street and in dc the people in D.C. need to be ousted. These people are not good for humanity. I can't do anything about the CCP. It's good to know that they are involved in this. Uh, but as far as their people, they're on their own. They can do their own thing. And we need to come together as a country to defeat these forces that are upon us. These people are going to destroy this entire world if they continue to do the things they're doing. Billions, if not, uh, if not all humanity, is going to suffer. The only people that will succeed are the globalists. They're the ones that are trying to take away all your rights. They're trying to soak up all the money. That's the reason why they're using BlackRock and Vanguard to soak up all the assets under management, destroy all the small businesses, or make them beholden to them. The only way you can operate is through a, first it'll be a vaccine passport, then it'll be, uh, you have to provide, uh, you'll have to sign up through a guild kind of organization to say that you have everybody vaccinated that works in your employee or whatever else. This is the, this is top-down control, which is not, which is not the way you run an organization. This is supremacy. This is absolute evil. And it needs to be dressed that way, in no uncertain terms. But of course, the people that they're selling this to are what are called the useful idiots. They're useful because they've psychologically destroyed these people. They're not, air, they're not capable of making decisions for themselves. Certainly not on a level that we want to. No matter how much you introduce new information to them, facts or discernible truths to them, or introduce them to the fact that the people that are running this operation, just because they don't see them face-to-face, doesn't mean that they're not pulling on the strings in the background. There's a reason why someone who has trillions of dollars under management, like Larry Fink, who was talking to Bill Gates, I mean, they're talking to each other. Bill Gates is just one of many um, pointy heads at the top of this scenario. The Queen of England, Prince Andrew, Bill Clinton, uh, George, Herbert, uh, George W. Bush, Obama and all their minions and all the CCP minions that we probably don't get to see. The World Economic Forum, their entire cadre of people that are part of that. The Council for Foreign Relations. When you start doing the intersections of all these people, it may be twenty or 30,000 people worldwide that are running all this stuff. And believe me, they are running this stuff. There's circles of influence in, inside those things. You know, Just because you don't see the person directly doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It's called, a, you know, it's almost like a supply chain of evil. Yeah, you have like a council of 
most powerful people in the world, and they're holding uh, holding court over other people below them. They're they're um, they're I guess you could say they're functionaries, and then those functionaries run other things. It's the technocracy that 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 you see. Those are your uh, what would you call it uh, in marketing? Your uh, customer facing outlets. Your politicians are like customer facing uh, people that you interact with. Those are the most visible people. You don't know who's pulling all their strings. You don't know what organization or lobbying mechanisms are pulling their strings and what those lobbying mechanisms are being pulled by. And once you get into that, and once you determine that, that's who's making the policy. That's who's going, that's who's pushing this down on all of us. It seems, it's very simple, but I know many people don't believe this is happening. But yet, here we are. And if you don't pay attention, if you don't wake up, this is going to end really badly for the entirety of humanity. And I wish people would wake up to this. I've implored so many times. I can't, I can't, um, I think we're in a very dire circumstance. And the people that are going to get hurt the most are obviously going to be the most uh, um, ill-equipped to deal with this misfortune. Who barely have any money. They don't have $600 in their bank account. And they're going to be left to their own devices. They're going to act out. And of course, that's when the globalists will uh, use the military to clamp down. Because that's what they always do. Totalitarians know one thing. They know force. Just because they haven't used force yet, they already are using force. If you go to Australia and, and Britain and France, they're starting to crack heads. Because they, they, these people are, think they're monarchs. They think they can do no wrong. And they've, they've rolled, out, um, rolled out edicts and constructs to say that we are all the bad people in the world. And that we need to be laid to waste. I hate to say that, but that's the truth. So there's going to be when you think about us and them, it's not it's not the it's not the common person against each other. We need to unite against these people. One million people in a square can bring down a dictator, can bring down an authoritarian. Ten million people can surely make sure he doesn't serve ever again. That's the only way these people understand it. They need to be overwhelmed. They need to be afraid. And when they're afraid, they will submit. We need to submit the globalist without discussion, without complaint. These people are, are, are a pariah on our society. And many of their minions also have to be dealt with in turn. They have committed crimes against humanity. And eventually, they'll have to be brought through God's will. That will happen. God bless the United States of America and God save the world.